0: Hello and welcome along to this week's episode of the Total Fertility podcast where we explore the minds of experts from all different walks of life. Our aim is to make your fertility journey just that little bit easier. I'm Ed Coates, a consultant gynaecologist, a fertility specialist and co-founder of the website TotalFertility.co.uk where we connect you to all kinds of resources that will inform you, empower you and encourage you on your way to finding your fertility. Now this week, I thought we should tackle a really important topic head on, IVF. It's one kind of fertility treatment that many of you listening to this might have already been through or perhaps we're approaching for the very first time. And I think when you start on the path of IVF, it can seem a little daunting to some. A lot of the language and the terminology used is new and it can be often hard to follow initially. So I wanted to speak to someone who I've known for a while who is an absolutely excellent communicator and has been working in this field for a number of years. And I think one of the toughest jobs we have as fertility doctors um, is not to use too much jargon and uh, to make a complex subject easy to understand. So I couldn't think of anyone better to talk to about this than Dr. Ali Richardson, who has agreed to speak to us on the topic of how does IVF work. Ali is a consultant and a reproductive medicine specialist in the Midlands, and she has spent almost 10 years taking patients through consultations about IVF, guiding them, And helping them to understand what it's all about. So Ali, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi Ed, lovely to be here.
0: Great to have you with us, how are you doing?
1: I'm very well, thank you.
0: I'm sure you've had a busy day and I'm now going to make it even busier because I'm going to delve into everything (laughs) you know um, on this topic because it is a really tricky area for patients. Um, Sometimes they've come through to IVF quite quickly, they may have been through their GP and fertility clinic and ended up being told but they need IVF and it can be quite daunting. Um, could we kick off then, I think, from your perspective um, about IVF and explaining to patients, maybe for the first time, what it's all about? Why, why do we do IVF? What's it really designed to do and how does it work?
1: Okay, so... Um... IVF stands for in vitro fertilisation. Um, and what that means, so in vitro is something that happens uh, in a test tube or in a in a petri dish in a laboratory. Um, and fertilisation is when um, a sperm and an egg meet and fuse and hopefully then create a baby. So essentially, IVF is when that fertilization, the fusion of the egg and the sperm um, happens in a dish in a laboratory rather than um, inside your Fallopian tube, which is where it happens naturally, um, and the reason that we might recommend IVF to couples um, is because they've it's usually they've been trying to get pregnant for a while, um, and for for various reasons have been struggling to get pregnant. Um, when IVF was first invented, it was um, it was created to help women who had had their fallopian tubes removed, so there was no way that they could get pregnant naturally Um, and IVF is essentially what what the very clever doctors and scientists came up with to try to bypass the fact that women hadn't got their fallopian tubes and um, it works really well for that reason but we also use it um, nowadays for for lots of other reasons. Um, If there's a, a problem with the um, man's sperm or uh, if the woman's not releasing eggs or if she hasn't got a good supply of eggs then um, uh, we might recommend IVF to to those couples um, and a lot of the time um, uh, we end up recommending IVF um, when everything seems okay um, so we've done all the tests and they've all come back and the results are all normal um, but for some reason couples are still Um, struggling to get pregnant and then um, IVF is is often a treatment that we would then recommend
0: yeah so I mean as you as you said there's so many different reasons nowadays Um, you know nine it's almost 40 plus years isn't it since Louise Brown and and that that initial kind of fallopian tube problem which, which sort of led to IVF and we use it for so many things now as well as you know biopsying embryos and looking at embryos for screening them for genetic disease it's it's really expanded hasn't it it's such a daunting topic i think for some people i'm sure you'll have had patients who who come to see you who it can be quite frightening i think having to embark on ivf um for the first time what do you what what would you say to patients when they come to see you to start with and and how do you begin to explain that process of ivf what would a patient expect to be to be told and, and 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 go through with that doctor when they meet them for the first time
1: Okay. So um it, you know it's very difficult without being able to draw pictures and things but um kind of I sort of say to Patients, um, you know, imagine that your womb is like a jumper, um, and your ovaries are where your hands would be, um, and the sleeves of the jumper are the fallopian tubes, and the body of the jumper is the, um, the the womb cavity where a baby would grow. And if you imagine that your ovaries look like a bunch of grapes, um, and E- and inside the grapes, so the grapes are follicles, um, and inside each follicle is an egg. Um, and each month, um, your brain sends a little hormone signal to one of those follicles, um, and that follicle will get bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually, the follicle will release an egg and the egg gets picked up by the fallopian tube, which is the sleeve of the jumper, and the egg gets wafted along the fallopian tube. And it's actually um, in the fallopian tube, sort of midway along the fallopian tube, where fertilization would normally occur. So the sperm's been deposited um, at uh, at the kind of waistband of the, the jumper um, and the sperm sort of swims up through the body of the jumper into the fallopian tube and that is where fertilisation would naturally happen um, in, in vivo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once the egg has been fertilised by a sperm, um, the um, resulting sort of complex um carries along the fallopian tube and will hopefully implant in the body of the jumper or or the the womb lining and then hopefully that will continue to grow and develop into a, a pregnancy and um and you'll have a baby nine months later and that's you know in an ideal world what does happen but for various reasons for some couples um it's it it doesn't happen um, and that is the process that we're sort of trying to mimic with IVF. Um, but rather than so with IVF, what we're trying to do is um, collect some eggs from a woman um, and um, remove them from her Um, and then we would fertilise the eggs uh, in the laboratory in a a dish um, and fertilise those eggs with her partner's sperm Um, and then we let the um, embryos grow for a few days um, and then we transfer the embryo uh, back into her womb um, so that the embryo will hopefully then implant and grow into a pregnancy
0: so you you paint a really nice picture that's clear to understand there of of course of what natural conception is and of course i guess something can go wrong at any point whether it's the tubes at the ovary level in the womb and this is where IVF becomes a treatment which can help many people for different reasons. Um, And there are lots of different stages to that. When a patient um, has possibly been through lots of investigations and has been told that they now need to move forwards to IVF, which can be at different stages and at different speeds for lots of different reasons and for different people. But when they come to an IVF clinic and they meet with a doctor for a consultation, an initial consultation to really understand IVF and how it works, um, there are lots of different things that need to be to be gone through with a patient. I wonder if you could just sort of take me through how an initial consultation might, might look with a patient in terms of the things you're hoping to cover with a patient to describe and um, so that they understand what the different stages are to IVF. Because it's, it's quite a process, isn't it? There's a number of different hurdles that they need to go through.
1: Yeah, so I mean, it depends on um, the the setup of the clinic. Sometimes they're part of the um, uh, the kind of initial fertility clinic, so you've got access to all that um, information. Uh, and sometimes the IVF clinics are completely separate. So um, depending on that side of things, you um, you know, the doctors might ask um, sort of. Uh, questions uh, you know related to uh, how long you've been trying and whether you've um, ever been pregnant before and whether you've had any fertility treatments before and whether you're generally fit and well or whether you've got any medical problems or on any medicines um, normally uh, things like that that need to um, be taken into consideration Um, and once they've then sort of established those sorts of things. Um, They would then um, uh, explain the process of IVF to you um, in in a bit more detail um, and Um, Then, you know, if if that sounded okay and it was something that you felt that you want, you you know, agreed to and um, wanted to move forward with, um, there are then, um, there's lots of paperwork that needs to be um, completed. So there's lots of consent forms uh, that need to be gone through um, there are um, blood tests that um, you need to have um, and once that's all been done and you're ready um, you can then uh, commence your treatment Uh, and different clinics will do things in in different orders and at different times and things Mm -hmm. but um, they should explain that to you um, Mm -hmm. so that you know exactly what order um, Mm -hmm. things are done in and and what's happening when and what you need to do to to sort of facilitate the next step.
0: And obviously the process of going through an IVF treatment cycle, a fresh IVF cycle of harvesting eggs from the ovaries as you described, um, it doesn't happen sort of immediately. Uh, You have all those initial hurdles you have to clear with regards the mandatory blood tests and the consent forms and the planning of of treatment but once you get to the start line there are different ways of doing ivf aren't there there's different types of protocol and obviously not being too specific here because it could apply to to different patients for different reasons and clinics do different things but could you just take us through what the two types the main two types of protocol are that we tend to to use
1: yeah so um, essentially if if you remember back when I said sort of naturally your um, brain produces a little hormone just to stimulate one of the follicles so one grape in the bunch um, but actually most women will have more than one grape uh in their in their bunch and you know hopefully um it, it does vary depending on the age of the woman and other factors but you know many women will have um it, you know maybe 10 or 12 grapes in each each bunch um, and so they'll have lots of follicles in their ovaries all containing eggs and in IVF what we want to try to do is to stimulate all those follicles all at the same time so rather than just having one egg to play with um, we've got more eggs to to have to try to fertilize because obviously sort of within reason the more eggs that we have um the more eggs that we can collect um the the greater the chances of of you getting pregnant at the end of the day um and so what um IVF treatment involves is giving um you hormones um to try to stimulate as many of those follicles um as possible um and we need to be quite careful in how we do that Um, and um, you know we adjust the dose of the medicines that we give you to try to make sure that we um, kind of individualize the treatment so um, that you know some people will need a little bit more drug and others will need a little bit less and all of the investigations that you have um, in the run-up to your treatment will give us an idea of how we can um, do that treatment safely and Effectively mm-hmm. um, and as Ed mentioned there are there are two main um, protocols and different clinics will um, prefer one or the other although most clinics will offer both um, but they'll that they often have a preference to one or the other and some individual women will warrant um, a, a specific type of treatment um, rather than the other type of treatment and that will all be explained with you when you meet with the doctor for that first consultation. Mm-hmm.
0: and with regards the um the sort of time frames i mean one of the protocols that we commonly use is long protocol um and the other is short protocol um does it does it as they as it says on the tin does it sound exactly as it is does it does it work like that one takes a lot longer um
1: yeah so basically a, a long protocol is it it does take longer Um, so treatment um, normally starts on the 21st day of your cycle so the first day of your period is day one of your cycle Um, and then treatment uh, starts on day 21 Um, and that initial treatment that um, you're given so it's a medicine that uh, we call it a down regulator Um, and uh, the way that I kind of explain that to patients although it's not strictly true um, is that what what we're trying to do with the IVF drugs the way that we're trying to stimulate all your follicles that's not a natural process um, and the reason that we don't do that naturally uh, is because it could be quite dangerous so if you imagined that naturally you you released eight eggs all at one time then um potentially if they all fertilized you could end up with um octuplets Octuplets. um, which um, is is obviously not a good uh, not a good idea Um, and so 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 because it's not a good idea your brain (laughs) doesn't let that happen naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when we try to force it to happen with the IVF drugs, your brain will, you know, it's very, very clever and it will try to stop us doing that. So what we have to do is to give you a medicine in the first instance to just sort of put the bit of your brain that would like to interfere, we just temporarily put it to sleep um, so that it doesn't interfere with what we're then trying to do with the other um and that's the way that i think about down regulation um that's and... a lovely
0: way to describe it actually i've i've, I've never heard it described like <laughs> that but i that i knew that's that's why I wanted to speak to you because i knew you'd have some really great uh, ways to describe what those medications are there to do so so in that long protocol you are sort of switching off a certain area of the brain that's telling the ovaries to yeah
1: and i think it's important to add it is just a temporary switch off yeah um and it it's just the part of the brain that controls the ovary the Mm -hmm. rest of your brain is completely unaffected (laughs) and not asleep you will you will function normally (laughs) it's just your ovaries will will not listen to your brain they will listen to the drugs that we are giving you
0: and that's that's obviously down regulation, in, 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 which is the first step of, of long protocols. And um, ultrasound scans is an important part of IVF, isn't it? Um, and I know you've done a lot of research around ultrasound and, and, and early pregnancy. Um, this is sort of an expert area for you. But do you could you? I mean, what can a patient expect in terms of sticking with a long protocol? I suppose what what sort of numbers of appointments and how does that work? going forward
1: yeah so again uh, different clinics will do things um, slightly differently um, so um, most clinics that I've worked in um, uh, that use the long protocol um, will uh, ask the women to come in um, n- so normally you're on that um, down regulating medicine um, normally for about two weeks um, after you've been on the medicine for about a week you'll get your period um, and then they will then get you to come in for an ultrasound normally towards the end of that period. Um, and that's at that point, they'll um, do an ultrasound scan. You might also have a blood test as well. Um, and that's to check that you have been successfully down downregulated. Um, and that's an internal ultrasound. And probably by the time you um, uh, have been recommended to have IVF treatment you'll probably have had um a few internal ultrasounds so internal ultrasound transvaginal ultrasound it's it's the same thing um but if you haven't had one before um uh, you know, it can be quite daunting. Essentially it's an ultrasound probe that goes inside the vagina just a couple of centimetres. The, the probe that we use is probably about a foot long and it's important to remember that it's just two or three centimetres that just go inside the vagina and the reason the probe is so long is so that we can move, m- move the probe in different directions so we can see what we need to see. Um, and, you know, it's generally very well tolerated. It's not particularly uncomfortable. Um, and it normally takes less than a few minutes to, to mm-hmm. do the scans um, to, to see what we need to see. And when you come for the dam regulating scan, um, what we're looking for is the lining of the womb. So that's um, what we call the endometrium. Um, but it's just, That's just the fancy name for the lining of the womb. And we're just looking to make sure that that's nice and thin. And we're also looking to make sure that the ovaries are nice and quiet. um, And that tells us that um, the, the medicine that we've given you to switch off your ovaries has, has worked successfully. And once dam regulation has been confirmed, we will then start to stimulate the ovaries. Um, and that is done uh, with hormones. As I said, it's the same hormone that your brain produces naturally, um, but it's just a, a bigger dose because rather than just stimulate one follicle, we want to stimulate as many follicles as we, <laughs> safely and sensibly can
0: excellent so and then uh, during that phase more scans presumably in the lineup to getting ready for egg collection and that's a big day yeah. IVF cycle, isn't
1: it? <laughs> yeah, so normally, again, the clinics will tailor the treatment to you. Um, so, generally, people are um, on those stimulating medicines for between about 10 and 14 days. Mm-hmm. And during that time, um, you probably need to come into the unit maybe two, maybe three times for uh-huh. a scan. Um, and that's to to look at the ovaries to see how they're responding. And again, um, when you start the treatment, the, the grapes will be very small, um, but then after um, several days of the medicines, um, those grapes will get bigger and bigger and you will see that on scan, um, you'll be able to appreciate those those follicles getting bigger and bigger each time. And once, um, so, so during the scan, the, um, the sonographers or the nurses doing the scans will measure each follicle and track that on a chart. Um, and once you have a certain number of follicles above a certain size, um, they will then say that you're ready um, to have your egg collection procedure. Um, and just before you have the egg collection procedure. So it's normally on the evening of the day that you've come in and been told that you're ready um, to have your egg collection, you'll be given one last hormone. um, And that is called a trigger hormone. Um, And the way that I think about that is it's, it's sort of like a wake up call to the eggs. So it's giving the eggs in those follicles a bit of a warning that something's about to happen and they need to get ready for it. Um, Mm. And the egg collection procedure is normally scheduled anywhere between sort of 34 and 37 hours later. Um, And at this point, it's probably worth mentioning that timing is critical. Um, So when you're contacted by the IVF unit, you will be given a time to have your trigger injection and a time that they want you to come in for your egg collection. And it's really important that you stick to those times um, because it it does make a difference.
0: So can you just um touch as well a little bit on short protocols then and how they differ from the long protocol which you've described so beautifully?
1: Yeah, so um, a short protocol. Um, so some units use that as their sort of default protocol, um, whereas other units will um, kind of tend more towards the long protocol. But there will always be um, some uh, women that uh, they will uh, recommend using a short protocol, um, and um, the 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 main difference, as you might guess from the name, is. Uh, that it's it's much shorter treatment cycle so um, the the long protocol from the start of your period to doing the pregnancy test normally is about two months um whereas with the short protocol it's just one month um so with the short protocol um your treatment starts um, on day two of your period um, and uh you will be given the um stimulating medicines um straight away so they're they're the the hormones that are going to stimulate the follicles to make them grow um but if we just give you those medicines on on their own your ovaries will go absolutely berserk um, and so normally um sort of a, a few days later so normally sort of five six seven days later we will add in another medicine just to try and kind of keep things under control um, and uh, to stop the ovaries going crazy Mm -hmm. Um, and again it's similar to the long protocol you're normally on those uh, medicines for between 10 and 14 days Um, you'll come into the unit two maybe three times um, for scans to track the follicles Um, and again once you've got a certain number of follicles above a certain size they'll then administer that trigger injection um, and get you to come in for your egg collection procedure Um, and the main reason that we do this um, short protocol um, is um, to avoid um, a, a risk called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome or OHSS um, and that is um, some women for some reason that we don't fully understand some women are really sensitive to the drugs that we give them for IVF treatment um, and the medicines make your blood vessels very leaky um, and fluid Will leak out of those blood vessels, um, and that fluid can collect um, in normally in your in your pelvis. So. Um, uh, when you come for your scan, um, the the person doing the scan might um, see some fluid there that, that shouldn't be there. Um, and um, very, very occasionally, the, the fluid can accumulate in other places. So, um, it can accumulate around the bases of the lungs and around the heart. Um, and that can obviously be quite dangerous. Um, and um, the other thing that happens as the fluid is leaking out of the blood vessels, the um, blood gets very thick and gloopy um, and gloopy blood tends to clot um, and you can get blood clots in your legs going off to your lungs. So OHSS, it it, it, um, can occur at any point, um, but there are some women that are at Particularly increased risk. And if we've identified you as being at increased risk, we would then recommend that you have the short protocol rather than the long protocol because women are much less likely to have um, or to develop OHSS with the short protocol.
0: And the chances of, of developing OHSS it sounds quite frightening. Uh, how how many patients you know are at risk yeah, of this?
1: So um, I think they say about a third of women um, will develop um, OHSS, but the vast majority of those will just have very very mild symptoms. They might not even know they've got it, um, and it might be something that we've picked up on scan. Um, and you know they don't really need any treatment or or any like that it's only the women that have um, sort of more severe um, uh, problems that that would require treatment so um, it's you know if you do develop it please don't panic but it does um, it would require monitoring um, and um, sort of in a worst case scenario we um, might recommend that we don't do an embryo transfer Uh, um, on day five like we would normally um, what we would usually recommend that we do is freeze all the embryos wait for things to settle down um, and wait for the OHSS to resolve. Um, And once that has happened, um, we would then get you to come back um, for the embryo transfer procedure um, when it's much safer to do so. Um, And although that can be frustrating, um, it is the the safer thing to do. And as I said, you know, what we want to do is for um, women to... um, uh, get pregnant safely um, and have healthy pregnancies and healthy babies and that's one one thing that might be necessary to ensure that it doesn't happen very often um, but it is something that you should be aware of.
0: A lot of the medicines you speak about they taking I mean obviously it does vary from clinic to clinic there are sprays that people sniff there are injections to, to, to take um, but a lot of those medications are given by the patient themselves, which can yeah. be daunting.
1: Yeah, so. Um, um, what sort of
0: side effects as well? Could you just take us a bit about the medication and, and what sort of the common things to maybe be, be thinking about with medication?
1: yeah so for the down regulating medicines um they can either be in a um uh something that you inhale that you sniff um or an injection um they are technically both as um effective as each other um, and it is personal preference as to what you would prefer um, as to which one you choose um i normally sort of say to people that the um the The ones that you sniff um, are fine. But if you're someone that, you know, has allergies and hay fever and things like that, or you've got a little cold at the time of treatment, it's probably best to avoid the 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 sniffing ones or if you're the type of person that sneezes um easily you you might want to avoid those ones yeah. um uh but th- but they're they're both fine the other option is an injection um and the injections that we use are um very um patient friendly injections they're not they're not big um needles and syringes they're they're they they're very easy to use and um, the nurses will go through that with you and show you how to um, administer the injections yourself so some people prefer it to do do it themselves other people ask their partner to do it it's really whatever you prefer Mm -hmm. Um, and the side effects from the um, down regulating injections um, uh, some women don't get any side effects at all uh, and other women might experience um, side effects a bit like hot flushes night sweats Um, some women will get more emotional than normal some women might get a bit more irritable than normal and I always emphasize that it is completely temporary it's completely transient um, and and you will go back to normal afterwards Um, and I normally just warn male partners to be a little bit more understanding of their female partners when they're um, uh going through these injections because um the side effects can be quite quite overwhelming Mm -hmm. Um, and the whole process is overwhelming anyway but then you add hormones into the mix and um it you know obviously is a lot to to deal with
0: no and i mean that's absolutely why we want to sort of get you to talk a little bit about this because it is such it can be overwhelming is a great word and daunting new medicines new terminology new things you've got to remember to do when to take them it's all it is all new certainly if you're doing this for the first time but approaching egg collection obviously that's such a big day um obviously in this journey of getting through an ivf cycle um it's it is mission critical in terms of timing um could you take us through a little bit of what to expect on egg collection day
1: yeah, so um... Most units will do the egg collection um, under some sort of sedation. Um, it, it does vary and, and they will go through that with you. Um, but most units that I've worked in do do it under sedation. Um, so they normally get you um, to come in um, at some point in the morning. It's you know normally sort of 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. They normally advise you not to have, have had anything to eat or drink um, after midnight Um, So you come into the unit, you'll meet everybody that's going to be involved in the procedure. So um, you'll meet the anaesthetist who's going to sedate you. You'll meet the doctor who's going to collect your eggs. um, And you'll you'll meet the the nurse that's going to look after you, you know, after the procedure and things like that. Um, The um, doctor will um, uh, go through the consent form with you. So they'll go through the risks of the procedure again, if they've not already done that. um, And the air collection procedure is quite straightforward and it is something that we do many times a day, but as with any procedure, it does have some risks associated with it. Um, The way that we Collect the eggs is a bit like having um, uh, one of the internal ultrasound scans that we talked about before. Um, But this time there is a a needle attached to the ultrasound probe, and that's why you need to be sedated. Um, And so we put the ultrasound probe into the vagina, and then we will put the needle through the wall of the vagina. And because the ovaries are so swollen because of all the medicines that you've been having, Um, The ovaries are normally just on the other side of the vaginal wall. So we put the needle into every single follicle in each ovary. We suck out all the fluid that that follicle contains. And then we give that fluid straight away to the embryologists that are sitting in the laboratory next door. And they look at the um, fluid straight away under the microscope and they count and collect the eggs for us. So um, the the whole procedure normally takes less than 20 minutes. Um, As soon as you wake up, we'll be able to tell you how many eggs we've collected. Um, And normally, um, you know, within an hour or two, um, you're normally feeling up to to going home, um, Mm -hmm. you know, from the clinic.
0: Mm-hmm. And we- sorry, interrupt, different clinics obviously do things in different orders. Uh, obviously, this is a very general chat about IVF, but male sperm production is is also mission critical on, on the day of uh, day of egg collection unless it's been frozen or always being surgically recovered.
1: Yeah, so normally um, uh, the male partner will produce his sample um, normally on site, uh, normally at roughly the same time that the woman's having her egg collected. Um, That can be quite a daunting thing for for a lot of men. Um, And obviously it is essential that we have a sperm sample um, to use on the day. So uh, most clinics will offer um, a service of whereby if if you or your partner think that that is going to be a problem or there's the potential for it to be a problem, um, then they'll offer you the option of being able to freeze um, a sample or maybe two samples in advance um, so that if there are any problems on the day, they've got that frozen sperm to use as a backup. So that is always an option. It's not always something that is mentioned. So um, if you feel that you or your partner might benefit from it, then it is worth asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other instances where we might recommend freezing sperm um, in advance are um if the quality of the sperm isn't isn't brilliant, um, we might want to um freeze one or two or three samples in advance again just to make sure that we've got enough good quality sperm available on the day to do what we need to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, and, and obviously Patients, we do get bamboozled with success rates, and um, and and when we talk about IVF, that seems to be something that people focus on. The HFEA is obviously the most, the best, and most reliable place to go for that information to understand success rates, but. What sort of success rates uh, are people looking at? And I'm going to take you forward a step from egg collection as well in terms of moving forwards, because we, we culture embryos in, in the lab now for more than just a couple of days. Historically, it used to just be to a, a four-cell stage, but we take embryos right through to blastocyst. Could you talk about what patients can expect in the laboratory um, in the interim days after they've headed home after their egg collection?
1: Yeah, so... Um... Uh, sort of once we've collected the eggs and once we've got the sperm um that's that's kind of where the the clever stuff really happens um and um with the, there's two different ways of fertilizing eggs um and one of those ways is is just sort of standard IVF um and essentially um i might get told off by the embryologists for describing it like this, but um, essentially with in vitro fertilization with standard IVF, um, they will have the eggs that they've collected from the woman in the um, dishes uh, and they will have the sperm that they've obtained from the man. Um, And essentially they they do prepare the sperm a little bit, but essentially all they do is pour the sperm over the eggs um, and they let the sperm fertilize the eggs themselves. Um, And that's, you know, they're trying to make it as natural a process as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And they will do that for couples where the sperm... Sperm sample is completely normal. So they've looked at it under the microscope um, and they have seen that there is a good number of sperm. The sperm are swimming well and the sperm look fairly healthy. And if they tick all the boxes uh, in that regard, they will allow the sperm to fertilise the eggs themselves. And that's IVF. And XC yeah yes. ixie so um if the sperm is suboptimal. Um, so if it if it's borderline or, or very low in number or the sperm aren't swimming as well as they should uh, or if the sperm don't look completely normal, they won't trust the sperm to fertilize the eggs themselves. Um, so um, what they will then do is something called ICSI and that stands for intracytoplasmic sperm injection. And for couples that are requiring ICSI, they will look at the sperm under the microscope and the embryologists will physically grab hold of one sperm and they will physically inject that sperm into the egg. And they'll do that for every egg that we've collected from the the female partner. And
0: then... Oh gosh! And sorry, then, I've interrupted you. Yeah, no,
1: no, no that's fine. <laughs> sorry, no, no. And so that's the only difference between IVF and ICSI. The stimulation phase is exactly the same. Um, it's just how they fertilize the eggs, mm-hmm. and the in this country the main reason why we do ICSI uh, is if the sperm is suboptimal quality. There are other indications where we might do it um, uh, but the the main one is is if the sperm uh, quality is is not, not top quality. Once we've fertilised the eggs, uh, we then put them in the incubators. Um, so an incubator is um, like a, a really cosy, warm environment um, that, and the, the embryos are in dishes that are full of special media that are supplying all the nutrients that the embryo needs for those first few days. Um, And as Ed said, we used to just sort of um, uh, let the embryos grow for a couple of days before we would transfer the embryo back into the womb. Um, Whereas now sort of um, things have advanced and um, we've got really good at letting embryos grow for a few more days. And now in most units, for most couples, um, we would uh, recommend growing the embryos for five days and the reason for that is because um, when you're looking at embryos on day two or three um, they they look very similar and it's really difficult to um, uh, differentiate between good quality embryos and less good quality embryos. And obviously we want to pick the best quality embryo to put back inside your womb to give you the best chance of, of having a positive pregnancy test and having a baby at the end of the day. And And it's quite difficult to do that on day two. We can do it. Um, it it's just It's just more difficult. Whereas on day five, because the embryos are um, much bigger, they're much more developed, um, you can start to see kind of different areas in the embryo. Um, So at day five, the embryo is called a blastocyst, um, and you can see the part of the embryo that's going to um, create the baby, and you can see the part of the embryo that's going to make the placenta, and you can see that really, really clearly. Um, and it's much easier to um, differentiate the the good quality embryos from the less good quality embryos. And that's the main reason mm-hmm. why um, we encourage sort of culturing the embryos to that stage.
0: And you talked earlier about octuplets, which we don't mm. thankfully see in our area of uh, medicine anymore. But um, increasingly, we're moving more and more Um, as we should do, um, to single embryo transfer. And I know you yourself have looked a lot into this over some of your research you've done, but single embryo transfer, can you explain why we moved much more to single embryo transfer in the vast majority of, but not every patient. It's very patient independent, of course, but um, could you just talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so single embryo transfer is when we just transfer one embryo uh, into the womb. And um, so the embryo transfer procedure is, um, you know, it's usually an exciting day for for couples. There's normally a bit of kind of, uh, you know, anxiety as as well, but generally most people are quite excited about it. Um, It's a fairly simple, straightforward procedure. Um, It's a bit like having a smear test and a tummy ultrasound at the same time Um, so most units will do it under ultrasound guidance not all units Um, but um, because we're um, sort of working from the bottom end this time um, the only time in an IVF unit really um, the scan will be an external abdominal scan rather than an internal one so you'll need to come with a full bladder um, and because that that gives us the best views Um, And so, usually, there'll be a a nurse um, doing the scan and then um, a doctor or a nurse doing the embryo transfer procedure. You don't need any sedation, you don't need any anesthetic or anything like that. It is just like having a smear test. Um, And so, we pop the speculum in um, and then we pass a very, very fine catheter through the neck of the womb. And you normally get to see that on the scan. Um, and uh, once the um, transfer catheters in the right place, we'll then inject the embryo into the womb and you can often see that on the scan um, as a little flash um, and then we very carefully withdraw the catheter and that's it. That's the transfer process. Um, you can um, empty your bladder um, immediately afterwards. Um, I know a lot of um, women worry that that's going to cause problems but it absolutely doesn't. Um, we encourage you to get up, walk around as normal, empty your ladder as necessary Um, and um, you can normally go home a few minutes later. Um, You will need at that point um, uh, the only medicine that you'll then need uh, is some uh, progesterone Uh, and normally that's given as a vaginal pessary um, but it can also be given as a a rectal suppository or or some units might use um, uh, in injections and again they'll explain to you exactly what they're going to use Um, and the reason that we give you um, that progesterone support is is to really nourish the lining of the womb if if it was a natural pregnancy um, the follicle that releases the egg would then produce that for you naturally but in IVF that doesn't happen so that progesterone um, medication is really really important uh, in the first few weeks of a a pregnancy and you'll you'll need to continue that um, until the point you do a pregnancy test which is normal. Um, a couple of weeks after the egg collection mm-hmm. procedure and if that pregnancy test is positive then you'll be encouraged to continue that um, for several weeks afterwards.
0: Um, that's a wonderful kind of tour through all the different phases of, of IVF and um, what to expect and I think if you've not been through it before it's um, it's, it's so beautifully explained there are some great analogies as well when you get to embryo transfer day there is this um, constant discussion that some patients will have to have based on their age and and many factors including embryo quality that they've created during the IVF process about how many embryos to put in the womb Um, there are risks to IVF of course aren't there multiple pregnancy being being one of them could you just explain a little bit about that and and how we how we approach
1: that with patients yeah, so um, multiple pregnancy is the um, is the main risk of IVF um, treatment, and it is something that we as clinicians do consider to be a risk. Um, patients often don't feel the same way about that, um, but with um, you know compared to a single baby, um, twins are more likely to. Um, Um, miscarry, you're more likely to deliver prematurely, um, you're more likely to have problems during the pregnancy and during the delivery if there are two babies and for that reason we do try to avoid that if possible. Um, Now, that's not to say that every woman that has a twin pregnancy will experience those risks. Of course, many women um, will have a twin pregnancy and and are fine. Um, But the, the chances of there being problems are greater. And we have to think about that um, when we're doing IVF and we we feel that it's right to try to avoid those risks if possible. It obviously is a balancing act because we also want you to get pregnant, um, but there is lots and lots and lots of evidence now um, that shows, I, I think a lot of people feel that if we put two embryos back, the, um, the success rates are going to double and that is absolutely not true. Um, if we put two embryos back, the chance of you having a positive pregnancy test is very, very marginally increased okay and but the the risk of having a twin pregnancy is massively increased, mm-hmm. so we're um we're trying to avoid the massive increase in risk for for a small improved benefit. Um, and so for the vast majority of women that's why we will recommend only putting one embryo back if you've got other embryos that are good quality embryos we would recommend you have those embryos frozen um, because actually the the cumulative pregnancy rates are much better if you have one transferred at a time rather than having more than one transferred each time There are certain situations whereby we might. Kind of think that the um, the the benefits outweigh the risks. So, um, as you mentioned, Ed, sometimes in older women we might suggest putting two embryos back, and that's because older women have lower success rates associated with treatment with IVF, and we try to improve that by um, by putting two embryos back. Um, another instance where um, we might suggest putting two embryos. Back uh, is uh, if the embryo quality is is not top quality, uh, and other instances where we might um, suggest putting two embryos back, or if if people have had several cycles of IVF treatment previously and they've not got pregnant, and th- they're the main instances where we might. Sorry, I've lost my microphone. They're the main instances where we might suggest putting two embryos Mm -hmm. back. Um, But it is is very much a balancing thing. And I think what it's really important um, for couples to um, remember is that we want your treatment to be successful almost as much as you do but what we really want is for your treatment to be safe um, and we want you to have a safe pregnancy and we want you to deliver healthy babies
0: Mm -hmm. that's absolutely great advice and i think the trend in fertility you know over the years has been more towards single embryo transfer certainly uh, over the last 15 years and we're definitely seeing with that the multiple pregnancy rates reducing and that's fantastic because it means there's many more safer pregnancies happening Um, and as you say you have complex facility problems it's 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 hard to then plunge into a a complex pregnancy afterwards which a twin pregnancy might might be Um, that's fantastic Ali thank you so much for for explaining all of that now some patients will have come across this thing called a satellite clinic could you explain a little bit about what that is
1: yeah, so um, satellite clinics are um, IVF units where you um, go to have your initial consultation, and um, the the doctors and nurses will go through the same process all the same paperwork and um, do all the blood tests and things Um, and they pretty much do everything uh, in the satellite clinic but the only thing um, that they tend not to do uh, is so they don't have a lab usually so the only thing that they can't do is the actual egg collection procedure and the embryo transfer procedure and the satellite clinics will be linked to um, an IVF unit that does have a um and you will need to go to the main unit for your procedures. But everything else is done in the satellite clinic, which is normally sort of much closer to where you live. And then you'll just need to travel a bit further on those two days uh, when you're having your procedures. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Um, now, can I finish by just asking you? From you, I mean, you, m- you must get asked hundreds of questions. Patients come with long lists of of, of questions, and we, I, I think, we well, certainly as, as as a doctor, I quite enjoy trying to work through those questions and sometimes trying to make sure that I've answered everything, or even perhaps before they're answered, uh, before the questions are asked. But what sort of questions do you think people approaching this for the first time should be? thinking about making sure that they ask their doctor about um when they're approaching ivf because often if you're going into this the first time it's quite hard to know what to ask
1: yeah, so I think it's really important that you um, ask what the likely success rates of treatment are. Um, and that will vary um, slightly depending on the, the reason that they've found as to why you've been struggling to get pregnant or if they've found no reason. Uh, and it will also vary uh, depending on your age um, and um, what we call your ovarian reserve. So So ovarian reserve is, um, it's a way that we um, describe the number of eggs in your ovaries. So how big is your bunch of grapes, basically? Um, And uh, people with bigger bunches, because we're likely to get more eggs from them, have got Higher success rates than than women with with smaller bunches of grapes, um, and um, so I would, um, uh, you know, I think it's really important in terms of managing your expectations um, to know uh, what they think that your chances of successful treatment are, and I I think it's really important that um, people view IVF treatment not as a single treatment but as a course of treatments and obviously we're going to try to do everything that we can to make it successful for you first time round but even in, in the best case scenario, in the best clinics in the country, um, the live birth rates are between sort of 30 and 35%. Um, so there is still a, a, a high probability that one treatment won't work. Um, and I think it's important that you prepare yourself for that from the outset.
0: I think that's great advice and uh, in fact it brings me on to the emotional rollercoaster of IVF which it, it really is all consuming and it's so hard for people going through it either as individuals as couples for the first time. There is support out there in most clinics. Um, what What sort of things should people do if they are struggling?
1: Yeah so I think it's completely natural um and I think that all IVF units will have a counsellor um associated with them that you can um meet with at any point before during or after your treatment um and those counsellors are um specially trained in fertility um and um they will see you um Uh, once twice as many times as necessary and they'll see you on your own or with your partner whatever you feel more comfortable with Um, but other you know there are other um, sources of support so um, uh, some people will talk to their family and friends and um, you know lots of people do have IVF treatment these days and um, you might not know about it because you might not have mentioned it but I I think the more people talk about it, the more people will realise that actually, you know, so and so had IVF treatment and, um, you know, and and that can be a really welcome um, uh, support as well. Um, And there are lots of um, support groups online and lots of places um, where you can get uh, support and information online as well.
0: Thank you so much Ali for coming along to speak with everyone and, and sharing all of that knowledge you've made a really complex area of medicine and, and a subject that is is daunting and is difficult to get to grips with quickly um, simple I love some of the analogies you give there the bunch <laughs> of grapes and the, the woolly jumper it's, it's those sorts of images and that visual kind of picture of what's going on that I think really helps people um, and puts them at ease because you have a short period of time sometimes with a doctor for the first time in a clinic and so it's great to be able to just sit and listen to this and I think understand all of those concepts of course every clinic is different and you've said that today a lot and and people will have very slight different nuances of different ways of doing things but but fantastic thank you so much um, and thanks for contributing to what i think is going to be a fantastically helpful episode for so many people
1: brilliant thanks ed and good luck everyone
0: absolutely and of course whilst there's an enormous amount of science involved in ivf there is of course a degree of luck as well with the embryos that go back into the womb and it's been a wonderful episode I think listening to you Ali and all of those experiences you have of talking to patients many many hundreds of patients over the years and you make some really quite complex stages of IVF seem very straightforward to understand so I really enjoyed listening to you and I think a lot of our listeners will have got a lot from that and um, you've made a very complex subject actually fairly straightforward to understand so thank you. Now, looking forwards to episodes coming up, we are moving, as you will know, into Olympic year. It's a year late because of the pandemic. Many of us have not been doing maybe as much as we should have. And so we're going to focus over the next three to four episodes on our diet, our nutrition, and of course, exercise and sport. We're always looking to optimise our fertility and patients are always asking, what should I be doing? What shouldn't I be doing? And we felt it was a really good time for us to be looking at sports exercise nutrition and diet from both a male and a female point of view obviously our hormones are critical to how we feel and they're also critical to the outcome that we see in ivf cycles so i'm really looking forward to the episodes that are coming so please do remain in touch with us subscribe log on rate us if you have time and please tell people about the total fertility podcast because we really enjoy making the episodes and hopefully you're enjoying listening too. So until next time, take care of yourselves, be kind to yourselves and we'll see you in two weeks time.